Hey, so uh, my name's Miguel. I'm one of the pastors here and um, love being a part of what God's doing here at Grace and in the city of Reno and all around. And so uh, we want to welcome you here again if you're watching online. Thanks so much for, for joining us today. Um, we're starting a two-part series today and next Sunday called Find Home Here. Find Home Here. And uh, how many of you guys know that children are just prone to wander? Okay? You understand this? Just check where your kids are real quick. You know, like, okay. Yeah, no, they're just prone to wander. I mean, they're like little escape artists, you know? So they just want to get away all the time. They wander. Where, where do they go? You know, and, you know, when you're in the grocery store, you're at a Target or Walmart or something, you're just like, hey, hang on to the cart. You know what I'm saying? You, you hang on because they just drift, you know, into the, into the little like racks, you know, the clothes racks or something. But they just prone to wander. When I was a kid, I, was, I wandered all the time, okay? I actually called my mother yesterday. We talked on the phone, and, and we actually discussed this. Like, how often did I wander? She's like, all the time. It, it brought so much, like, stress in my life, you know? I wandered. In fact, I, there's a story we talked about. When I was a kid, I was only four years old, okay? Four years old. I had to check this with my mom. I was four years old, and I wandered off to the park. My mom said it was time to come in, and my friend Travis, who was a couple of years older, said, hey, Miguel, let's go to the park. My mom said it was okay, his mom. And in my four-year-old mind, I'm going, permission, okay, cool. It's allowed. And I drift, and sure enough, my mom's like, where's Miguel? Where's Miguel? And no joke, she had everybody looking for me. I mean, it was like this apartment place. So check the pool, check over here, check over there, check across the street. She couldn't find it. Someone called the police. He called the police. I mean, everyone was looking for me. And finally, I was found coming home, like on my way back from the park. And my mom pulls up. She's driving. She goes, Miguel. She's get in the car. And I go, I'm like, what's going on? I had a great day. You know, <laughs> what's happening? And and I show up. And all I remember, all I remember uh, seeing is when I got home, it's like all these police officers everywhere, you know. Have you heard, have you seen this kid, you know, Miguel, and, and I was found, right? And so it's funny now, okay? It's funny now, we can laugh a little bit. But, um, but at the time it wasn't, it was stressful. It was, it was hard for my mom and the people who were searching for me. But how many of you know, too, like, just because we come, become adults doesn't mean we stop wandering. Even adults are really prone to wander. We all are. It just looks a little different in an adult life scenario, in fact, all throughout the Bible, there are people who are, have, are runaways or wanderers all throughout Scripture. From the very beginning, Adam and Eve, when Adam sinned, he ran and hid from God. Jonah, clear story. God telling Jonah to go to Nineveh, might preach the word to these people. Uh-uh. And he runs. I don't want to do that. Like, I got plans. Like, I, ugh, you know, I don't want to do that. That's scary. Nineveh people, man, they're, they're scary people. And he runs away. I mean, all throughout, there's so many stories and examples of people who wandered away from God, who drifted or, or ran. And they found themselves in stages of life. And how many, maybe you've said things like this, how did I get here? I, I don't know, I wasn't supposed to be here, but now I am. How did I get in this stage of life? As an adult, you're going, you're looking at your life and you're going, man, it's 2020. Why am I here? How did I show up here? How did this happen? And we're so prone to just wander. So I got four chairs up here I wanted to kind of illustrate during this message today. And so I just wanted, this is, these are the four chairs. This is chair one, two, three, and four. Say it with me, chair. One, two, three, four. One more time. One, two, three, four. 
Real quick. Ah. That was for me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Just want to make sure you're paying attention. Yeah, so these are the four chairs, and I want to talk about them because I want to look at a story in the Bible, a passage. It's a very popular passage. You may have heard it before if you've been around church or, or Christian rhetoric of any kind. I've preached on this before. It's the story of the lost son or what we call the prodigal son. Anyone heard that, that phrase, the prodigal son? Yeah. So the prodigal son story, um, Jesus has got this big crowd. Again, wherever Jesus went, there were large crowds. He always had large church gatherings, large services. It just was. He was the man. He could preach. He, he was God with a bod. You know what I'm saying? So, so this was, in, I mean, and he brought free food often. Okay, so people are showing up. So all of a sudden, like, Jesus uh, comes, and there's a very diverse crowd. I mean, all walks of life are showing up to hear what Jesus has to say. And there's a couple little, you know, people started talking, so he starts to respond, and he gives three illustrations, and it's three because we don't always get it the first time, okay? We just need help. Like, okay, wait, say it again? Okay, so there's lost sheep, there's lost coin, and then the illustration of the lost son or the prodigal son. So real quick, prodigal son story. Jesus goes, okay, there's a father who had two sons. There's two sons in the story. Father had two sons. One son, the younger son, he didn't want to be there anymore. He goes, dad, I wish you were dead. That's the translation of modern time. I wish you were dead, dad. I don't want to be here. I don't want to be a part of this. I'm done. I'm out. Give me my inheritance. So the father says, okay, here's your portion. And it's a large portion of the estate. I mean, you're young and now you got paid, my friends, okay? So this, a couple days later, this guy packs up, this young son packs up and he heads to Vegas, okay, modern day, okay? He, he goes and he's like, oh, you're up, man, this is awesome. So he goes to the first bar, drinks on me, right? He got friends really fast, really fast. So he's living it up. He's drinking, he's partying, he's going, man, this is awesome. Life could not be better. And just real quick, those first couple days of rebellion usually feel really good, okay? It wouldn't be tempting, okay, if it wasn't. He had friends, he had, he had money, and if anything, he could have been telling himself in those first few days, you see, this is exactly what my life was supposed to be. I'm in the right place. God's blessing, right? And all the people around him going, yeah, man, I'm for you, man. I'm with this guy, right? He's got friends, man. This, this is the life. But eventually the money runs out. As the story goes, money runs out. Then there's a famine. There's a recession that hits and a depression that lays on his heart. He's now got no money. He's got no job. He's got no friends. He's got nothing. And now he's trying to find something. And he starts, gets a job with some pigs. And he's realizing, man, I need, I need to go home. I need to tell my dad. So he starts to write his like, you know, speech, which is what we do with parents when we realize we're in trouble. We start to rehearse. What am I going to say? <laughs> okay, all right. My bad, you know. So, so we started, he started to do that. And so he said, I got to go home, man. I, I, and, and if my dad just will need, just give me a job. Like, I'll just be a servant. Like, not that, that's it. I don't deserve anything else, right? He goes back home. His dad sees him way off. He starts to run, which is very undistinguished. You don't do this as a man in this day. It was, it was very humbling for him to do that. He runs, embraces, throws a robe, a ring, gets some new kicks on his feet. Like he, and he goes, and he, they throw a party, and the father goes, we're going to have a party, and we're going to have it right now. Steaks for everybody. I'm there. I'm going to that party, okay? 
and they throw a party. There was an older brother. The older brother was faithful, did his work, did his job. I mean, that's what he, and he woke up every day living for that moment, right? And then all of a sudden he finds out his younger brother's home and they're throwing a party and they're getting, he's got a robe and a ring. He's got everything. What? And he's upset. He is ticked off so much so he doesn't even call his younger brother his brother. He goes to the father and says, hey, your son did that, right? He's so angry. He's so upset. And this is a beautiful story, and so much is focused, listen, on the son who came, was lost, and now came home, right? But if you look at the story even more closely, it's more about the love of a father, the grace of a loving father. You know, most of us as parents, listen, let's, let's be honest, our kid goes and rebels, what do we do? They come back home. What? Get over here. Boy, right? We should get up, sit down. We're throwing a party. You're going to sit. And you're going to watch me dance. And you're going <laughs> to sit there. No stakes for you, right? Like the one, we would do that. Come on. Like we would be all about that. We kind of would side with that older brother. Like, yeah, he doesn't deserve it. Like this, it's like, man, this is not, this is not cool right now. But it's like, what? Well, the DJ is playing his favorite song, and they're, man, they're getting down on the dance floor now. That's what kind of, lo- dad's lost it, right? This is what you're, yeah. but this is what we do. Like, as parents, we wouldn't really process, like, in that way. When our kid messes up, like, we, no, right? We, we just get at it. So, so much of this story is all about the love and grace of the Father, it's extravagant. So chair number one. Chair number one is the chair of surrender. And I'm going to say it right now. My hope is that everyone here today and listening online would move to this chair. Completely surrendered. And this is what it means. This chair is totally surrendered and they are crazy in love with Jesus. And when you are crazy in love with Jesus, you do crazy things okay? You can't hide it. I mean, you are all about it. You are all in. Your life is completely surrendered to God. I mean, you come to church, and when you come to church, you love it. It's not that you don't miss a Sunday every once in a while, right? We miss a Sunday, but it's when you come, and you, you love it. You love being a part. You love coming and giving, right? Giving yourself, giving your all, and saying, this is what it's about, When you have a a devotion time, listen, you don't read your Bible just to finish and check off. Yep, I'm on track with my New Year's resolution, 2020, baby. Like that, no, 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 no. You don't read the Bible to finish. You read the Bible to change, right? Just to be with God. And you would would not replace that quality time for nothing in the world, man. You just want to be with the Father all the time. You love that quality time. This person, listen, chair number one person, you're not perfect, Man, you make mistakes often. In fact, probably on a daily basis. But listen, you are quick to respond. You're quick to say, oh man, you're right, I screwed up. I messed up. I should not have said that. I should not have done that. And you learn and you grow and you mature and you receive correction. Man, chair number one is totally surrendered to God. You you haven't surrendered just most of your life. You you, you haven't surrendered, you know, 90% or 99.9%. It's all, man, your life is not your own. It is all about Jesus. 
when you find something challenging in the Bible, what you don't do is go, oh, I don't agree with that one in the Bible, so I'm just going to kind of omit that or just ignore that. I don't really agree. I don't agree with that one. You know, no, 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 you don't do that. What you do is you actually say, man, my life's my, not my own. I've completely surrendered to God. And this, this one completely challenges me, this verse, this passage. And I'm just going gonna, gonna to follow it to the best of my ability. I'm going to work on this. I'm going to grow. And this person is totally sold out for Jesus. So this is chair number one. Chair number two. Chair number two is what I call the self-chair. The self-chair. I mean, we live in a selfie-centered world, and this is what this person is all about. You, you don't want to follow God or, or really any authority for that matter, right? You're, it's all about you. You go it alone. Whatever I want, I pursue, right? You're all about yourself and what you want to accomplish and all those kinds of things. It's a YOLO kind of mentality. You only live once, so I'm just going to go ahead and just live for myself, I mean, this person right here, right, is you don't really, you might be an atheist, you, you might be an agnostic, but you don't really care. You're just living for you. It doesn't matter. Whatever level you have, sure, whatever. It's all about what I want, though. I, I need to look out for me. Number one right here, right? And so it's all about self. And in fact, you don't care about all that much. The only thing you care about is just be left, left alone, right? Leave me alone. I don't need that. I'm good. So you live it up. It's all about you. So let's get into the story. Here's what it says in Luke chapter 15, verse 1. It says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. Let me, let me kind of translate that. I mean, these were people that were far from God. And these are the people that Jesus came for, for the sick, for the hurting, for those who were far from God. He came for this, and church should look just like this, just like Jesus. People who are far from God, who just want to hear what Jesus has to say. If, if I were to translate this, listen, in the MIV, the Miguel's International Version, okay, here's what I would say. It would say, uh, now the outcasts, the addicts, the traitors, the atheists, the hurting, those who live immoral lives, those who live for themselves and follow their own passions, all those who have felt hurt by the church or abandoned by people in the church, all gathered around to hear Jesus. That's what I would say. And maybe they had some like tacos too, right? <laughs> but that, that, that's what it was about. That's the kind of people, that's the kind of group. And here's what I have to say, I just side note, kind of sounds like a church I know. You want to know what makes Grace Church so special? It's because it looks like Jesus, like what he did, where all people from all walks of life came to hear, from all different backgrounds, came to hear what, what Jesus has to say. Now let me read the next verse. Luke 15, verse 2. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, the, the ministry leaders, the veteran theologians, the pastors, the, those who knew the Bible inside and out and could speak Greek, right? Muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Now, here's the thing, like, we, we don't get that now, but in this day, for a Pharisee, eating with a sinner or a tax collector was to defile oneself, was to defile oneself. So for the Pharisee, righteousness with God, it came through ritual purity and separation from sinners, separation from outsiders. Uh, I don't, don't get close to that guy, my cooties, right, spiritual cooties. 
Like, don't, don't go near that. No, I'm not going to go there. What? No, stay away, stay away. And that leads me to chair number three. Chair number three is what I call the spiritual chair or the religion chair. This chair right here is all about religion. It's all about keeping the rules, right? It's all about those things. Listen, this person right here in chair number three may have grown up in church. You know it all. You probably can fill in the blanks of all the messages. You're like, ah, I've heard this one before. Hey, I got it. He's probably going to say this and this and this, right? You're so used to it. And here's what happens to this person. Over time, you kind of get used to God. You kind of get used to the, to the routine, and it becomes very religious. It becomes the thing that you actually start to do where it's like a to-do list thing. Your relationship with God is not really relational. It's all religion. It's all about the things you got to do. So this person, man, when you come to church, you don't come to church to give. Oh, no, 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 no. You come to church to get and often critique to make sure this service is up to what I want. And if it doesn't meet your standard, you're looking for another church. Church shopping happens, right? Oh, no, 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 like he's got holes in his jeans. <laughs> Cross the line right there. And in my thing, I'm going, well, they're holy jeans, so got to go to church. <laughs> As a side note. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. There's a story I heard about in a, a, there's a church in the Midwest. And I heard this story. I learned of this story where there was a, a young girl who came. It was a first-time guest at the church. Small church, maybe 100 people or so. She came, and she came, and she wasn't really dressed modestly. Okay? And there was a chair three person. There's a chair three person who noticed them in the parking lot walking toward the front door of that church. And this chair three person goes up to this young girl who wasn't really dressed modestly. It was all she had, though. And outright tells the young girl, hey, listen, we don't, we don't want your kind here. And went on to say, if you want to come, then you got to look the part and get dressed appropriately for church. You see, the, the chair three, the chair three person is locked in this religious act. And the chair three person, listen, the chair three right here, the spiritual religion person, man, that, they get annoyed by chair one people. Keep it down. You're turning people off, right? And then what they do to chair number two people is they try to keep them out. And now what we have is we have in our country today chair three people governing a lot of our churches and we have what's called a holy huddle stop it chair one chill hey uh you should uh you should change before you come here right uh chill you know this this we have this holy huddle and now we have this religious mindset and this is what chair three people, when you're caught up in religion, when you're caught up in this super spiritual mindset, you come to church, man, and man, your mind is so filtered on critiquing so much. I don't know if that service, I don't like that, right? Right? But understand, listen, that's exactly what the Pharisees did. When they followed Jesus, it was to discredit Jesus. Oh, he he welcomes sinners and he eats with them, guys. We need to, come on, Pharisees, let's group up. Let's talk about this. What are we going to do to stop this? 
This is what they did. They followed Jesus around just to discredit him, just to, to make sure to say, hey, I'm going to send him an email to make sure, like, uh, you're not supposed to do that in services, Jesus. Come on. Come on. You don't do that. That's, that's a no-no. This is what religion has done. Chair number three, if you're there, that's, that's often what is struggled with. Let, let me sidetrack right here. The story of the prodigal son, when the son comes back and the older brother finds out that there's a party being thrown, the older brother does not go to the father first. He goes to another servant because you know what religious people do is they go to other people and talk about it instead of going to God. This is, listen, this is often where we fall. We, we fall here, we get religious, we get caught up, and it's not about religion, it's all about this relationship with God. And so as the story goes, Jesus is telling this story, and he's, he's illustrating this story, the, the son comes back, but let me just, real quick, when the son who rebelled finally realizes, I've got nothing, I've got no money, no job, no friends, they're all gone, and he's left all by himself, which is often what living for self leads to. You know what ends up happening when you fall? You, he, he literally is running toward the thing that he thinks will satisfy him. He runs towards, towards a world that he believes is going to do everything he ever wanted for him. But in the end, left him unsatisfied and, listen, worse off than he was before. So now, listen, he's in a state of mind that he's not just feeling guilty, but he's feeling something so much, so much deeper. And there's a deep wound now because he's realized all of the bad things he's done. So listen to the language as I read this next verse of where he's at. Luke 15, 21. His son said to him, this is the father, he's now interacting with his father. Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, which is true. You did. He sinned. He messed up, man, big time. But watch, listen to the language, watch. And I am, that's an identity. That's identity statement. He's drifted so far into his lifestyle. It's now become his identity. This is who I am. And listen, he says, I am no longer worthy of being called your son. So, chair number four is the chair of shame. So many of us, we're right here and, and we're just sitting. And we are locked from the past bad things that we did. The shame has consumed us. It is literally where we live. We want to. We want to come home. We, we, we want to go to Jesus, but, we, but I can't because you don't know what I've done. You don't understand my background, Miguel. You don't understand what I've been through and all the things. Man, if, if I were to tell you, you would be appalled. It would be horrific to even share. I can't. To talk about it out loud, I, it, it's so consuming. I am lost in my shame. And we get lost. It, it kind of starts with a guilt. And we should, in many cases, feel guilty for the things we've done. Like, it was wrong. I sinned against heaven and, and against you, Father. I mean, that's where the, the son was. But, but let me just remind us real quickly. Uh, guilt 
is the feeling I did bad, where, listen, shame is the idea I am bad. Totally different. So maybe you're here in this chair and you're going, man, you've told yourself things like this, man. I'm unworthy. I'm broken. I'm lost. I'm ugly, I'm, I'm, I'm disgusting, I can never be loved, I can never be forgiven, and, and you're just, you've told yourself things like this, and you are just so locked and imprisoned by the shame of your past. And this is where you are. You might attend church, but that's as far as you go. Man, you would never, you would never come up, you would never talk about it. it, you resist groups or any kind of intimate circle, you don't want to be a part of people, you like your isolation. And you're just there, man, in your shame. And so often, listen, like, some of us think those things, and we've told ourselves things like that, where you're just unwanted, you're worthless, can God really forgive me? Can, can God really love me? Can I really go home? Did, here's a side note for you. Did you know that in the brain, I did a little study on this, the, in the brain, the cerebellum, the cerebellum that tells you that you are in physical pain is just as intense about a broken heart as, is it, as it is about a stab wound in the leg. It's just as intense. So all of a sudden when we're in trauma, and we're experiencing such deep pain, but there's no paramedic around. There's no one around to help us to throw a tourniquet around and, and send us to the hospital or something, right? Because it's not bleeding on the outside. There's something broken deep within us in our hearts. There's a crushing by our failed expectations, hurting because of the things we've done or haven't done. And we've now imprisoned ourselves with this shame. And listen, this is why it is so hard. It's so hard for those who are in chair number four to let it out, to step into what Jesus, what the Bible calls, step into that light. Because no one knows. You just come to church and you smile. God is good all the time. But man, you go home and you cry yourself to sleep. But let me remind us of this loving father. Here's how the story continues. It says this, Luke 15, verse 22 to 24. But his father said to his servants, this is probably an interruption. The, the, young, the young, you know, son was probably talking in the middle. And he goes, hey, servants, right? He says, servants, quick. I mean, his father already knew. He was preparing for this. Quick, bring the finest robe, which is very symbolic. Okay, I can't go into it. Very symbolic of his identity as his son, right? Uh, finest robe in the house and, and put it on him. Get a ring and put it on his finger. Get some awesome kicks, sandals for his feet. And he said, go kill the calf. We have been fattening. He knew. I mean, the dad's at the front porch every day going, you see, you see something, right? I mean, he's ready he says, we must celebrate with the feast for this son of mine, gosh, lean into that, was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost but now is found, so the party began. Psh, DJ, go, right? Like this, this, this is the beautiful picture. This story reveals the grace and mercy and love of God that although, listen, we could do the most despicable ugly, most worst thing imaginable. 
And God still loves us. And God can still forgive. But Miguel, you don't know what I've done. If I were to tell you, man, you, you don't understand how bad I've been. The things, it's so evil. Listen, I can tell you countless stories of people in the Bible that were so bad. I mean, Paul was Saul and murdered Christians. He wouldn't pass the background check in the kids' ministry. <laughs> you, you get this, right? Like, hey, it says here you killed, uh, killed people, so let's talk. Talk first. You see what I'm saying? Like, all throughout Scripture, I mean, there are people who did some horrific things. I mean, horrible. And it's not about the things you've done and how bad your sin is and how ugly and evil it is. It's so much more about how good our God is. And how great is his love for you and for me. But I get it. We get so locked up. I've said this before. Let me, let me just say it again if you haven't heard me say this. Here's what religion says. Religion says, I messed up. Dad is going to kill me. That's kind of religion. The gospel, the good news, the grace and mercy of God says this. I messed up. I need to call my dad. You see, it's not about a behavior. Listen, it's about a Savior. His name is Jesus. God sent His Son because He loves you. Parents, okay, if I, if I can just say this real quick. I'm trying to get us to understand this cosmic love that is literally indescribable. I'm not doing it justice. So l let me give you an example from, from our own world in our family dynamic. Parents, when you see your little babies at one or two years old, first learning how to walk. And they're there, a little bone leg and a little Michelin legs, you know, and, and they're, you know, they're drooling or something. and They're making weird noises, okay? And they're there and they're crawling and they stumble and fall. You know what the parent does? How dare you? No, they don't do that. In fact, listen, the parents are sitting there Come on, baby. Come on, you can do it. You can do it. Come on. Come on. Oh, they fall. And it's almost, listen, the process of the baby failing is almost a beautiful thing. To say, oh my, baby, come on, you got this. You got this. Come on. Come on. He falls, and then he cheats and starts to crawl. No, no, no. Get up. Get up. Right? And you love it. The failure of your own child is something beautiful in these early stages of their life. And how much more? Is this creator God, perfect and holy in every way, sitting here or in fact standing at the edge and saying, come home, baby, I'm right here. Come on, son. It's okay. I'm right here. I'm ready for the party. This is good. You're my son. You see, because for the father, it had nothing to do with his performance. It was his position as his son. So, we have these four chairs. What chair are you in? What chair are you in today? Maybe you've kind of lost, maybe there are days you're here and then you drift. You become religious, you become all about yourself, you, you consume by that shame of your past and, and it reminds you. What chair are you in today? 
And see, some of us, we think, man, 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 God is just this cosmic God. He's just waiting for me to mess up. He's just this impatient, uncontrolling father. Like, you, we have those kinds of mindsets because we filter heavenly father through our own earthly father experiences. So we go, there's no way he could love me because we can't get out of this mindset that we've got that there is a God beyond this world. There is a God that lives in eternity that loves you. He really loves you. And, and he never gets tired of loving. It's who he is. It's not just an apt attribute that he possesses. It is who he is. So when we make choices and we face consequences, because listen, let me just remind us, it, we don't always get what we want, but we always get what we choose. And sometimes the things we choose, we face consequences. So we ask ourselves, why am I here? Why is God allowing me to go through this consequence and this pain? Why am I in this stage of my life? Why would he allow this? Even though it was your own choice. L let me just remind us, here's the difference. God doesn't allow consequences to get us back. Listen, to get back at us, right? He, he allows consequences to bring us back. Guys, listen, this is, this is what I'm talking about. To bring us back to him and we are never too far gone, too far lost that God can't redeem or restore or forgive or love you or give you a second chance. He loves you too much. And although the world continues to parade labels or your past or, or the things that you used to be or used to do or just did, even though they give you names on social media platforms and you feel the pain and you fall back into chair number four or you drift into this religion chair and, and the world screams these names to you, understand this, God calls you by a different name. And let me say it this way, the world knows your name but calls you by your sin. God knows your sin but he calls you by your name. What's your name? Child of God. Come home. Come home. You're my kid. Come home. I love you. Come home. So if you're in chair number two and it's been all about you and it's been all about self, let me help you right now. You will live a life unsatisfied. The world will not give you what you think. You'll be worse off than you were before. You'll be all alone. And you were never meant to be that way. Come home. You need to move to chair number one. There's plenty of room for people to come to chair number one. Man, maybe you've been caught up in religion. You've been caught up in all the rules and all the regulations. And man, it's, it's just your heart's been consumed with just maybe even some bitterness toward it. And, and you, you don't know why. And you're just like, why am I not more excited? I, I get so, why can't I just be yelling and screaming when people are coming to baptism and, and people are giving their life to Jesus versus how the service went? Like people are giving their life to Jesus. Miracles are happening. Why can't I just focus in on that? Lord, help my heart. I want to move. I want to move to chair number one. But maybe you're here today and so much of our culture is right here. We are locked in shame and social media is not helping. And we're imprisoned by it and we're saying, Lord, I need to break free from this. I want to come home, but I've been telling myself I'm too bad. I've done too many things and you want to come home. And I'm telling you, the love of the Father is waiting for you and planning for you to come home. Where are you? What chair are you, are you in? 
I want to challenge you in this next song. We're going to sing one song. It's called Who You Say I Am, Child of God. I'm going to ask you, let's all stand real quick. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. If you need to move to chair number one, I'm just going to ask you to come forward, whether you're in your bleachers or balcony or here on the floor. I'm just going to ask you to come forward. We're just going to open up the altar. Just pray. Say, man, I need to come forward. I need to move to chair number one. Because here's what happens. We might be in chair number one, and then the next day we move over to chair number four again. And this is, it's a daily walk of surrender. Lord, today I surrender to you. If you need to move to chair number one, then during this song, don't hesitate. Don't wait for another person. It's not about other people. This is between you and God. You come forward and you stay here and you just worship and you pray. You say, Lord, I surrender it all to you. God, thank you so much for this church. Help us all to live totally surrendered in Jesus' name. Amen.